0: Up next is a conversation I recently had with the wonderful Diana Pastora Carson. I've had the privilege to have conversations with some amazing individuals, but this discussion is something quite special. Diana is a podcaster, TED speaker, educator, sister, and disability advocate. Her story of her amazing brother, Joaquin, and his bravery will bring you to tears. This conversation is one that profoundly impacted me and changed me. I hope that you get as much out of it as I did. I hope that you enjoy this wide ranging conversation with the brilliant Diana Pastora Carlson. Diana, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for chatting with me. Where are you phoning in from today?
1: Hi Matt, thank you. I am here uh, with you from San Diego, California.
0: Beautiful is it? As uh, I've never had the privilege of going to San Diego, but it is—is is it stunning? Is it? What's it like to live in San Diego?
1: Well, there's so much diversity in San Diego—not only of people, but even of the the landscape. The Um, You know, I can I'm in the mountains of San Diego in a very rural environment. My home sits on eight acres and I feel like I'm in the mountains of West Virginia somewhere. It's very secluded. But in 45 minutes, I can be at Coronado Beach, which is this wonderful, beautiful beach where all of the celebrities have stayed at the Hotel Del Coronado. So I have the best of all worlds in San Diego within a drive. You know, Amazing. within an hour uh, drive.
0: Oh, sounds wonderful. It we're probably about um where I'm phoning from in Sydney, about uh 45 minutes from the what we call the C B D and about 15 minutes from the beach. So it's it's just it's just perfect. It's just it's just far enough away from the city.
1: Yeah. What's the C B D?
0: So the CBD, um, sorry, that's an Australian term. It's the central business district, got it? Okay. Which is kind of like, like in the CBD, you'll find things like the Opera House, the Harbour Bridge. The it's kind of like the main hub. Um, but it. Sydney is not really a; it's not a very big city, so you can walk across it pretty quickly. Um, it's I, I believe there's only about I think there's about six million people. Uh, that live there I could I might have to fact check that but it's a uh, it's, it's a relatively small city compared with um, uh, San Diego compared with um, LA for example and London and it's uh, it's beautiful it's still kind of got that um, I like to think that little community vibe there's lots of hipster coffee shops there's lots of
1: oh, uh, I love that.
0: yeah it's beautiful speaking of uh, speaking of coffee Diana what's your coffee order for when I can finally jet over to uh, San Diego and buy a coffee
1: So don't shoot me down, but I'm not a coffee drinker, but I will take a chai latte, a large hot chai latte with almond milk, please.
0: And is that a Starbucks? Is that a big, is that big over in America?
1: Yeah, it's everywhere. No matter if it's Starbucks or are you asking if Starbucks is big or if chai latte is big?
0: Starbucks. It's, oh yes. we've just got one in Sydney and we don't really know what to do with it. Uh, But Um, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, go get a chai latte. Fantastic. Yeah.
0: Is there a book Diana that has um that has caused you to stop and pause and reconsider a few things in your life? It could be within your sphere of education or it could be more broadly.
1: Yeah, I have so many books. You know, I retired from teaching due to health issues, due to a disability a couple years ago, and I started reading audiobooks. Right. Profi- I just right. I just love audiobooks. So I have many, but a couple of them that really helped in my mental health journey, my spiritual path. Um one is The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. I love everything by Brene Brown. And another one is called the Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer. And it's just about letting go. You know because teachers, I th- think most of my colleagues were very um, you know, we we like to be managed, we like to manage things, we yeah. like to be in control, yeah. and so letting go and and enjoying each moment and seeing what is it that I'm supposed to learn with this moment. Um, so that's that those are a Love couple that. of them, and I have so many other books that, that. I could. I love
0: that. I've just finished reading or listening to, I don't know if you can say reading if you've, I don't know if you've listened to it before, but I think I've read it, Um, is a book called The Second Mountain by David Brooks. Um, Mm. And it talks about the first mountain in life is about sort of career progression and esteem and all of that kind of stuff. But there comes a point in your career where you realize that actually that's not the main thing you're supposed to be doing. The second mountain is Actually, about giving back and in service to other people, which I think is a, it's a really beautiful concept. And so I I, I tend to read that book quite regularly, uh, which reminds me that um, especially in our profession, it it never was about me and you and about climbing the ladder and doing all that stuff. It's actually in service to the communities and the children that we get the privilege of impacting. And it's just a It's a nice reminder, because I'm sure it's the same over uh, in the US. There's those people that kind of are just there for themselves and want to want to pursue their own interests. But it's a reminder that I think the reason why we got into this as educators is one of service, um, which I think is, it's really lovely. I would highly recommend, uh, highly recommend that.
1: I wrote it down. Thank you so much for that recommendation, Matt.
0: Fantastic. And if you could have a dinner party with anybody, obviously, you're Wonderful family um, are not included. They are welcome, but they don't count in the, the seat count. Um, who would uh, who would be there and why?
1: So one of my favorite people, um, and I actually got to interview her on my podcast. She yeah. was considered the mother of the disability rights movement. Her name is Judy Human. Yeah, and she's the author of Being Human. H-E-U-M-A-N-N. And she just recently passed away. And I just I've read her book multiple times. I'm I'm one of those people who also reads books many times. Yes. And I I would have Judy come. May her memory be a blessing. May she rest in peace. I think I also love to have some of the inclusion gurus of my world, because I'm heavily focused on inclusion and belonging. I would love to have Shelly Moore, yeah. who's okay the author of one without the other. And she's a, she does, uh, five more minutes, YouTube five M O O R E more minutes.
0: So what is it about Shelly Moore? That's particularly, um, inspiring to you.
1: I love how Shelly frames inclusion, um, as, and, and as it should be as something, not, not something we're doing because it's, a charitable thing to do but because it's a human rights thing to do yeah um yeah. and yeah. and she also gives educators hope she comes up with all these wonderful ideas and ways to demonstrate to us that it's not impossible that that no matter who we are that we can be supported and that we can make a difference in any child's life and that all means all um and plus she's just so funny She's just hilarious in her book. And when I've seen her speak a few times, so I would love to share a meal with her. Um, And another person who I'd love to share a meal with is Paula Kluth, who's my other guru of inclusion. And she's written many, many books on inclusion, including You're Gonna Love This Kid. um, And I can't remember all the names of all the other books, but she's everywhere.
0: Okay, that's great. Well, I'll put links to... um all of the things that you mentioned um in our show notes so hopefully we can sort of broaden some of our listeners understanding of of uh, some of these really important concepts and um Dana what was it like growing up um a, S- a spanish italian uh, in uh, in america what was that like
1: you know i grew up mostly in san diego where yeah. the population as i mentioned is very diverse yeah. so it i don't think it was that big of a deal i mean I love it. I love my Spanish and Italian identity. Um, My mother is the oldest, was the oldest of 12 children from Sevilla, Spain, and she had a fourth grade education. You know, she went, she went, she, she quit school in order to go to work to help feed her 11 brothers and sisters. Um, So, and then she stayed home. My dad was in the military, served his country And um, was gone sometimes, but my mom held it all together for all of us. And uh, I just, you know, she, we shopped in thrift shops, secondhand stores. Um, We, my sister and my brothers and I, we helped around the house. We cleaned and we supported my, my one brother, Joaquin, who I share a lot about my brother, Joaquin, who's autistic. Um, I think that our Hispanic roots especially um, set a a stage for us about Mm -mm. how we would include, how we would treat, how we would care for our loved ones who needed care and love.
0: Um, Yeah. One of the things I'm really grateful for, I was born in this little country town in the middle of nowhere, uh in in England and um my dad was a uh my mum was an occupational therapist my dad was a um a podiatrist or a foot doctor and we used to have people around our dinner table from all walks of life like it was really wonderful to come home we used to joke it was like a a mini United Nations and I think for me um I learned that you can learn so much about other people by sitting down and just having a conversation and having a meal and we all want the same thing we want our kids to be happy, we want to be healthy, we want to be we want to pursue meaningful lives. And I think I think so much is lost when we don't sit down and actually have a conversation with people and go, oh, yes. you're exactly the same as me. You may look different, you may speak a different language, but we all want the same things here. I think kind of on that, um along that vein, Diana, like what are some of the things that you are grateful for from your parents? I mean you touched on it a little bit, but would you mind elaborating? Um, there must be so much.
1: There is so much. I'm really grateful that they didn't give up.
0: Yeah.
1: No. It was I'm going to get all choked up. Don't mind me. I cry all the time, Matt. So
0: I haven't made I, anybody cry yet on the podcast, so maybe you're the first. <laughs> it's okay.
1: I I do it all the time and when I especially when I talk about my parents, you know, mm. what they went through, you know, my brother was autistic, um and by the way, I have to say Joaquin, my brother has given me consent and his blessing to allow me to share our story publicly. And if he didn't, I don't feel like I would have the right to share. So let me just preface with that. But we grew up in a time in the seventies when autism was known as the refrigerator mother syndrome or the cold parenting syndrome. This was the official thing. And so my parents had to contend with that. And, you know, with very limited education, my father was a high school dropout who enlisted in the military. He later got his GED. um, So he had a high school equivalent. My mother, although I feel like she was one of the most educated women I knew growing up, she just in terms of her life experiences and her wisdom, um, you know, had a fourth grade education. And so they had no, there was no support group they could go to. There was no Facebook. There was no, you know, social media that they, uh, that they could connect Mm -hmm. with other families. And they did it all on their own, raising four children, including a son who was considered to have quote unquote, severe autism at a time when it was the parent's fault, you know? If my mother would pray that if only I could be more loving, if only I could be a more nurturing mother, well, she had raised 11 brothers and sisters, and she was still questioning herself and praying for God to help her be better, you know? Um, So I'm just grateful that they, they stuck with it. You know, my dad didn't leave when divorce rates of parents of children with autism is, is so high. And my dad stuck it out. My, my mom stuck it out amidst the lack of understanding and knowledge and the stigma surrounding it. Yeah. Um it's really grateful that they were strong. They kept our family strong.
0: Gosh, it's I I could look. I, I couldn't imagine it. And and um, in a moment, I'd love, if you don't mind, to to unpack your um, uh, the story of uh, of Joaquin. And like I said, I've I've listened to your TED talk a number of times. I listened to it twice yesterday and cried both times. So uh, oh. my wife thought I was going through some sort of a midlife crisis, but I had to explain yeah. to her that it was actually oh. a beautiful TED talk. But um, I, I mean, I I couldn't imagine that. Um, it's. I said we we moved I mean my my kids are the first sort of um Australia they're the first Australian born people in our family I was born in the UK my wife was born uh, in South Africa she's Indian South African and we have these conversations a lot um between like my so my daughters are both a 100% Australian but also culturally 50% English 50% Indian South African and this whole idea of like this wrestling of identity I think is really fascinating um and so many children that I work with in southwestern Sydney are from um non-English speaking backgrounds in fact that was my um what I specialized in um in the early part of my career and it's children are phenomenal how they navigate these worlds and I couldn't imagine we we got on a plane we arrived in Australia we could speak the language we had a network we were able to um navigate um uh, uh, the country culturally but there are so many people that arrive uh, in countries that that's not the case and i could not imagine what it would have been like for your parents or the parents of so many other migrants like where do you where do you even start how do you even <laughs> like it's it's really it's really quite amazing and the fact that you get to live uh, in the 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 sacrifices and your life gets to be blessed because of that is really I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? It's really quite amazing.
1: It, it is such a gift. Yeah, such a gift from them. Yeah,
0: Diana, I, I just wanted to uh, just take you back to uh, take you back to school. Um, was there a teacher that made a difference in your life, and have you had a chance to um, to to thank them for it?
1: I had a few really extraordinary teachers. My sixth grade yeah. teacher, Miss Anne Connors. And I you know I don't remember what I learned. I've heard you talk about this too. Yeah. I don't remember what she taught me in terms of math or reading yeah. or writing, yeah. but I remember how she made us feel. Kylie. She loved, she genuinely loved her kids. And I remember her being a modern woman. And I think that that was another part of it. She was a strong single woman who was had a career in teaching. And I and that was something that I had never been exposed to. I had had male teachers or married women teachers, but I never had a single woman teacher. Um, right. And I just, I just loved her. And I have not had a chance to thank her. She ended up getting married <laughs> later in life. I have looked her up and tried to find her, but I haven't been able yeah. to find her. I think yeah. she moved out of the area.
0: But like, I love, I, I love what you said about you, 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 respectfully. You have no idea what she taught you, and I'm sure there was some writing in there. There would have been some maths. There would have been something. And the same as me. I mean, as you may or may not have heard, I I had the privilege of interviewing my teacher, a lady called Mrs. Taylor Jones. And um, my mum actually lives next door to the primary school I went to in England. And so we went back there a number of years ago and I saw her and I hugged her and cried. And there was snot everywhere. And it was, and my wife just, she said that was so embarrassing. That was not cool. (laughs) But I think it just goes to show, though, the um, just the power of teachers and I have no idea what this wonderful lady taught me um I now teach the year that I was in when I was in her class so I know what the content would have been there would have been a bit of fractions in there a bit of informative text but I remember how I felt when I walked into her classroom um and it's a reminder isn't it that that our job isn't really about content um our job is about well-being and about connection Um, and it's, yeah, it's a, it's a really good reminder. And I think about that all the time. I think about, um, if students don't feel safe and valued and seen, they're not going to learn anything. It doesn't matter what we're teaching them. If we don't, if we don't get that connection, right. Um, and as I mentioned, my, my little one is, uh, in term three in kindergarten at the moment, and all of a sudden it's personal for me, um, Mm -hmm. because she's in the system. And I think about, um, I think about that a lot I mean at, at my school every day hundreds of parents kiss their kids goodbye in the morning and they expect us to do the best job we can with something which means more to them than life itself and that is a that is a, a huge privilege um and I think um yeah the power of uh the power of great teaching I think is um is something which is really hard to encapsulate but um yeah yeah um, so Diana, I was was wondering, um, and I'll put a link to this um uh, your TED talk uh, in um the show notes, but would you mind um uh, talking about um Joaquin for me? We touched on um we touched on him previously, and you'll probably cry again, that's okay. You're allowed to do that. um, but why is he uh, obviously he's your is your brother, but why is he so um what has his journey taught you?
1: Yeah, so. Well, let me go back and share a little bit about the journey Please. and then I'll share what it's Please. taught me. Yeah. In in conjunction with other things that I've learned that kind of have kind of collided together. Um, so Joaquin and I are a year apart. We've always been very close. And in the United States, there was no law that guaranteed a free and appropriate public education to anybody uh-huh. with a disability up until 1975, when the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Uh, was created, uh, was passed. So So, I'm
0: sorry to to push pause there. So you're saying there was no right to a free education with people with a disability before that time. That is correct.
1: That is correct.
0: That's not that long ago, is it?
1: It's not that long ago. And so Joaquin was not in school. Every day I would go to school and he didn't. And then that law was passed. And suddenly, Joaquin gets to go to school. And I was so excited because Joaquin was going to get to make friends like I had. Joaquin was going to get to learn how to read like I had. Joaquin was going to get to, I mean, Joaquin was the center of our family's world. And he was the center of my world. And so when I got to school and I saw there was this separate yard with a big metal fence around it, um, I thought, okay, well, I'll come and get him at recess. And I'll be able to take him out to the playground to play at least. Um, and when I got there, he was in that yard and a teacher took his hand and, and I said, hi, I'm here to take Joaquin out to play at recess. Cause she could tell he could, he, he recognized me and he wanted to be with me. And um, she said, I'm sorry, you can't take him out to your playground. And I was crushed. And I, and I had two friends with me and I said, well, can we come in and play with him here? And she said, no, I'm sorry. You can't do that either. He belongs here and you belong on your playground. And Matt, that was the first time in my life that I had understood that the world perceived Joaquin and his value very differently than I did and very differently than our family did. and. You know, fast forward. Are you crying, Matt? <laughs> you look like you're crying. Yeah, I know. I... I, I am,
0: and I've I've like, I I've, got I've, I've, I. A, I've got a pillow. Hang on, I don't have tissues. So okay.
1: <laughs> so I I leave there, you know, and I go on with my first grade or second grade life. I don't remember what it was, and um, Joaquin doesn't. Joaquin ends up in his special education classroom, a quote unquote, separate but equal setting, which was all that our school system knew how to do because it was designed without inclusion in mind. It was designed without people with disabilities in mind, right? A hundred years before that. So they didn't know what to do. So in his classroom, they had these timeout rooms, which was a closet with a peephole. And One day, my mom got a call that Joaquin had been put in the timeout room. And when they opened the door to let him out, he was covered in excrement, that he had had an accident in there, and that my mother needed to come with cleaning supplies and clean up her son and clean up the timeout room, and that she had to take him home, that he wasn't welcome at the school anymore. And so my mother did what she was told you know, she was a grateful Spanish woman who was just so glad that her son had an opportunity and then she was devastated by this news but she went and she cleaned him up she cleaned the room and she took him home and the school district had a new task they had a legally they had a duty to provide him with an education but that one wasn't going to work for them he didn't fit their mold so they created a non-public school for kids with autism and that's where Joaquin was for 10 years of his life With no inclusion, no reading, no writing, no math, not even effective communication strategies. It was all compliance training, Matt. And I know it because I worked there in high school as a summer job. I learned what they were doing with my brother. And I participated in it because I was instructed that this was the professional treatment. This was what we were to do. And there they did.
0: It sounds more like a prison, though, than a school. (laughs)
1: very much like a prison it's horrific very, it is it is and at this other school he had you know they had multiple timeout rooms and they had squirt bottles to squirt him in the face with water if he was non-compliant and if he became aggressive after that they had a water bottle filled with vinegar to squirt him in the mouth with vinegar Matt. and they had restraints they would personally hold him down in restraints if when he was 16, 17 years old, he weighed 200 pounds, was six feet tall, and was tired of not having a way to communicate what he needed and what he wanted and being abused constantly. Until my parents were given an ultimatum that he had to be put on psychotropic medications. And that, to make a long story short, he was highly allergic to those psychotropic medications and he ended up going to an institution which was two hours away from our family. And we ended up, you know, every weekend going to Los Angeles, the Los Angeles area from San Diego, which was two to three hours drive every weekend for 15 years of his life to visit him, take him out, to let him know we still love him and we're working on getting him out. And it wasn't until me and my family could buy a place out in a rural area, like I mentioned, with a barn on it that we could renovate and make a home for Joaquin that we were able to then go to the entities, the government agencies, and say, we're ready to bring Joaquin home and we have a plan. And they said, well, we don't think so. And so we had to go to court for three years to get him out. And we finally won and got him out of the institution. And now Joaquin is my next door neighbor. For 12 years, he's been my next door neighbor, living a self-determined life and he's learning he's getting education he's he's learning things about history and about science and uh, about spelling to communicate typing to communicate he's a multimodal communicator and he's still learning and it's slow because he was in his 40s when he started learning it on top of having a lot of behavioral or body dysregulation and mental health to take care of because of all the abuse that he's endured Throughout his life. So, but he is so much happier now. He uh he goes with me to class sometimes. I teach a disability studies class at San Diego State University. Um, and he, when it was in person, now it's online, but when it was in person, he would go sit in the front row and he would listen to his story being shared and yell out, right on, baby. Um, and he has a dream team of people that work with him, that support him, that listen they've learned we've learned how to listen to Joaquin and to honor his voice not just you know patronize him and say yeah yeah we hear you you're going to type this word or two and we're going to pretend that we understand what you mean but we're actually going to dive in and see what is it that you actually mean Joaquin what is mm-hmm. it that you want how can we support you and really he knows that he is valued vastly valued um it's As a contributing so member and a teacher so in our lives.
0: And uh, firstly, Diana, I'm so sorry for what your family went through. Um, I and there's no, um, I mean, I I I could not imagine that, and I could not, uh, and I'm not going to pretend to understand what that was like for your family and Joaquin. I, I'm just so grateful that there that he has a family that that advocates continues to advocate so well for him um and it it breaks my heart to think that there are so many other um uh, people with a range of abilities that are sitting in our classrooms that don't have that um and it's it's heartbreaking um and I think for me being a being a parent has changed me in ways that I could never Have imagined. Mm. I couldn't imagine having a sibling or having a a child go through what you've been through. Um, And it's it. I I think it's it's truly um, a miracle and truly remarkable that that um, you're both now able to to use that horrific experience for good and to be able to advocate for those students. And Joaquin sounds like a a truly. I'm going to say not a young man. He's probably older than me. uh, A a truly um, remarkable individual. it's it it it's a real testament I think to what is possible isn't it when we have the right support when we have the right care um and also just how resilient kids are
1: Yeah and when we have the right mindset Yeah Matt because you know we had to change our mindset
0: Yeah
1: about instead of thinking that we knew what was best for Joaquin we started to listen to Joaquin and instead of just viewing our value in his life really understanding and embracing his value in our lives. Yeah, at, at least for me, that's been my journey. And I think, you know, as it relates to my, my profession as an educator, the same is true. Yeah. When I, yeah. I mean, Joaquin is my why. He is my why. I tell him this, I tell everybody this. He's and everybody needs to have a why. And if you don't have a why, please borrow Joaquin's yeah. story, you know, and let him be your why because there are joaquins out there. There are so many that are still, even though they might not have squirt bottles aimed at them, even though they may not have restraints on them, even though they may not be in a timeout room, they are still shunned and they are still excluded. yeah because of a diagnosis automatically we just put them aside and it's okay because that is the system that we have created we have these silos of general education and special education and we don't communicate with each other wow. for the betterment for the benefit of each individual wow. child whether wow. disabled or not wow. and so watching is my why you know and so when I, I open my classroom door Every child is welcome. Every child is going to know they belong, whether they can communicate through spoken words or not, whether they have behavioral dysregulation or not. It is our job as the professionals to find the support that each child needs. And I know it's hard. I know it's so hard. And it takes a recommitment every single day.
0: Yeah. It's, look, I, I'm Dana, I'm very rarely speechless. um ask my wife. Um, but there is so much in that, isn't there? and and I um the only look the the wonderful school that I work at is in um is in a really diverse sort of pocket of Southwestern Sydney. It's hugely multicultural. And we have our support unit um or our special education unit um as part of our school, I've tragically been to some schools and it's been kind of down the back or it's been somewhere else, but my the group of classrooms that I supervise sits right next door and I see the work that our amazing special education team do. Um, and we, we've we renamed um, that, that group of classrooms to Baraga and that is an Indigenous word, uh, which means to rise up. And we we wanted to make sure that our kids knew that they weren't separate, um, that they were part of our school. And what's so wonderful is seeing, we're working really hard and obviously making sure that we are providing every opportunity for every student, regardless their background, regardless of how neurodiverse they are, regardless of whatever. Um, And it's wonderful to see how far it's come. Um, But it's also, it's devastating to see where it has been, you know, and to hear your story. And and unfortunately, um, the story of Joaquin is not the only one the amount of students out there that have had a terrible experience at school and and you mentioned before that you you worked in that school um for a period of time and now that we know better we just have to do better we can't absolutely um, it's
1: I love like that. We,
0: we didn't know what we didn't know but now we know it's not an excuse anymore I, and and I think there would have been so many teachers there that that meant well that thought they were doing Joaquin a favor but really they weren't they were yeah, it, it's, but now we know that there's no excuse anymore, I think. Um, you're
1: right. And there were people with very good intentions, you know, yeah. it was all we knew back then, but we do know better now. And so yeah. you're right, there's no excuse. And another part of that, you know, you, call, uh, you, you have the name Baraga, which, oh, so beautiful. Yeah,
0: it's beautiful, so
1: beautiful. And there's a challenge. I see a challenge in that. Yeah, the challenge is for the rest of the community to rise up as well.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: because you can't have a segregated special education classroom that is going to where every individual child is going to maximize their potential and rise up if the rest of the community doesn't so rise up and embrace them it's so and true. support them and provide them access, yeah. access to friendship, access to positive relationships in their lives access to the environment access to the curriculum Love access that. to communication access is like is key you know it, it,
0: it's so, it's so key isn't it like it, it's i think about that all the time like i think about engagement with my students and i might think about why are these students not engaged and if you don't have the resources and the tools to engage there's a there's a real issue there and and it, it's so wonderful like society I mean, look. There are many aspects of society in which people are segregated, but society should not be segregated. And schools are a a representation of society, or they should be. And it's wonderful to see how, when we are, when we embrace diversity and when we embrace inclusion, that we can truly have a, we can truly move forward. I think, which is wonderful. Yeah. It, yeah. It's so strange, uh, Diana, as well. And this is slightly related, but my wife is Indian, South African, and she remembers with her mum queuing up to vote during apartheid um, wow. in 97. I was in the fir- my first year of high school in 97. And I look, I'm a, a white, middle aged, heterosexual male. Like what would honestly, what would I know about um, being told I can't do something? And I'm not I'm not boasting in that. And I think it's um, it's very um, it's very confronting. I think when you start hearing these stories about uh, access, about equity, um, and it hasn't been your experience. But like I said, now that we know, or now that I know, I need to do a better job of making sure that that's not repeated. Um, and I think it's it's not good enough to say, "Well, that wasn't my experience. I can't relate," because it doesn't really cut it, does it?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that that's often the default response for a lot of people. And I love that you're, you're, you're just so genuinely open to that. And as I am in so much that I, you know, mm. didn't know. And now I know, you know, or or that I don't know that I, that I want to learn. Right. Yeah.
0: And and I, I remember, um, and like I said, I'm in no way, um, pretending I can relate to a lot of the things that you've, you've talked about but I remember walking through um a, a shopping center in Peter Marisburg which is in a very rural part of um, South Africa with my wife and I was walking along and uh looking in the shop windows and respectfully it's quite a um it was a culture shock to be honest um and so I was walking through when I was looking in the windows and I and, and there were um uh photos of models in the windows that 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 didn't look like me there were people walking around that didn't look like me and I remember holding on to my wife's hand and I said I don't feel like I belong here um and for a split second uh, from a, a, a very small moment um I think I experienced in some small way how important it was to see people that look like you and she held my hand and she held on to me and she said that's how I feel every day um yeah. walking through it we live in Sydney it's a beautiful part of the world Um, The place that we live is the Sutherland Shire, which is quite monocultural. And she said, Mm. that's how I feel every day. When you don't see people that look like you, when you don't see people that act like you or see the world like you, it's quite a um, it's a dangerous thing, I think. And so, um, as I said, I'm not pretending I can relate in any way um, to the stories of people that have been discriminated against. But it was a reminder to me that. diversity and inclusion and, and and seeing people that look like you is really, um, it's really important. And it does send a message, doesn't it? If, if, yeah,
1: representation definitely matters right. in our schools and everywhere.
0: It seems so strange. I think me having those, those uh, coming to that realization, because I remember saying to her, saying to my wife, um, naively saying, I don't think that this is really, there's a problem with this. And she said, yeah, that's because the problem is you. It's been pretty easy for you, and I was like, whoa, okay, that's probably that's probably the case."
1: Uh, I like your wife. <laughs> oh, she's
0: like I said, she's a passionate, passionate South African. Um, I love- uh, Diana, what does what does your look your life look like now? I mean, you spend so much time, obviously, um, advocating with, for students with disabilities and talking about inclusion. But what is sort of, sort of this chapter of your life dedicated to?
1: Well, so since it since this chapter of my life began, it opened up with me becoming sick uh, during the pandemic, the beginning of the pandemic, and then having to retire, take a disability retirement. I had a lot of self reflection to do in terms of my own well being and um, setting boundaries and learning. You know, I'm on a path of spiritual and mental health growth. And I feel like I've come quite a ways and I still have further to go. Um, but I, I'm taking things one day at a time, really. Uh, I still am passionate about um, disability awareness from a perspective of disability research, disability studies and education research, um, which I was when I was a teacher. And I um, so I published a book since I've retired. I started a podcast. Called Beyond Awareness, Disability Awareness That Matters. Love it. Um, yeah, I've published a trifold laminated teacher resource called Beyond Disability Awareness.
0: I'm looking, at, I'm through- currently looking at it. it. It's visually it's amazing. And also the it, content is spectacular as well.
1: Yes, thank you. Yeah, it's published through National Professional Resources Inc. Yeah. Um, so I'm really proud of that. Um, and just because people keep coming to me and asking me about those resources for the events that I've and the the disability awareness um, activities that I've done at my school for I did for twenty plus years, um, so doing that, and I also do a lot of keynotes and, and public speaking events yeah. when I can, not a lot, maybe two or three times a month, um, yeah. and and then the rest of the time I I spend with family and my dogs and going for walks and meditating and really being with Joaquin and Sounds supporting funny. him and his healing as well. Sounds so funny. I'm I'm enjoying life. I felt really guilty when I first left teaching because yeah. it was such a traumatic exit, um, yeah. just being so sick and not being able to go in. And I had a substitute in my classroom for a year with my kindergartners which is really hard to do but I was so lucky I had the same sub the entire year and she was absolutely amazing her first year teaching and my colleague said she was awesome she it was just perfect and then at the end of the year I officially retired and continued my my journey
0: yeah is um is your health on the mend now are you feeling I'm
1: getting Yes. So I, yes. Don't don't feel
0: like you need to go into any details. I'm not prying. No, no,
1: it's on the mend. And it's a, it's a vestibular. I've always had a vestibular issue. So I get dizzy really easily, a lot of visual stimulation. Um, And when we started doing things on screen with, with 24 kindergartners bouncing up and down on the screen, a lot of motion, so that's that started triggering it and then i just couldn't i i was spinning all the time and it was really um dis- wow. disconcerting and painful so um yeah i'm doing much better with that i'm getting treatments Good. um yeah so i'm i'm i i, st- I have to manage my health constantly yeah. but yes i'm getting treatments
0: do you uh do you miss the classroom
1: i miss it so much <laughs> I miss miss the children. I miss the children. And I miss my friends. I had such an amazing, extraordinary team that I worked with. We were all... And our friend tomorrow, I'm actually meeting them. They're on their break right now, too. Okay, and so they have this week off. And so I'm meeting with them. We can't keep away from each other. My kindergarten team, um, I miss them and I miss the little ones. Oh, my gosh. I used to have stories every day. I'd come uh-huh. home and tell funny stories, you know, living with a five year old, a kindergartner. They're just precious. And they they help us to see so much of what really matters in life Yeah, every day
0: yeah i um I, I took many uh, I took took any for about five years um and i also supervised it for a number of years and it um it really does put things in perspective, doesn't it? Um, it really and you, does. you you come with your problems and then you realize, yeah, but it's just so it's also so good for your ego because they just love you and they will comment on a shirt that I'm wearing and they Uh, Yeah, it was some of my favorite. I've never been so tired in my life, Um, and we always joke that there's no that um, you don't know tired until you know kindergarten tired, and it is just chaos. But I just love it. It's just this wonderful, um, yeah. It's it's really precious. Um, I have
1: to tell you a story. I remember one thing, my my associate principal walked into my classroom, and he said, "How are you doing today?" I said. Feeling a little bit irritable and grumpy. And a kindergartner looks up at him. She's really grumpy today. <laughs> Threw me. I mean, I was throwing myself under the bus, but she didn't have to kick me while I was down. Yeah. I mean, they're just so so free to share whatever comes to mind.
0: It's just beautiful. My um, my my daughter doesn't um think I'm a real teacher because I'm I'm a boy, because she's of course never had a a boy teacher and I said, "Now, what do you think I do every day?" Um, her name's Harper, and um, she said, "Oh, you don't really teach, do you, Daddy? You're not a real one." And so oh. she actually, her teacher's just recently left. Uh, she's having a baby, uh, oh. and um, she now has a male teacher for term four. So she's like, "Daddy, he's a real teacher now." And I was like, oh, "Yeah," but it's such a um, it's such a beautiful relationship, and 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 I it's scary. I think being a, uh, being on the other end, I think like now I'm the one that's used to delivering parent workshops and telling them about how much they should trust us and all of that stuff. And sitting in the audience now receiving that information is, is quite emotional. Um, it really, yeah, it really gets to you. I think that yeah. it's, it's a, it's a beautiful relationship. And I think, um, uh, all teachers, but especially kindergarten teachers, need to be celebrated. I think it's really quite amazing. I agree. I so, agree. Diana, do um, you're obviously an avid, um, an avid podcaster. Um, do you have any tips? How do you is there any advice you'd like to give me about podcasting? You've got a, a uh you've been doing it for a little while now. I know you've your microphone is amazing. I'm gonna buy one when we uh when we stop talking. But um, what's that experience been like for you? Um and why? Why did you decide to go down the, the route of podcasting?
1: Well, gosh, first of all, you flatter me. I, I have a lot of questions for you. <laughs>
0: Honestly, I love your podcast. It's a great listen. It really is. Oh,
1: thank you. Um, So well, I think that I went the podcast route because I love talking with people. Yeah, And because I feel like I want to offer something that anybody can listen to when they're driving Um you know how you said there's no excuse anymore i just want to help people to have access to the information they need in order to do things in a way that actually does foster inclusion and belonging yeah um and so and i think that i have the connections with people who can who i can bring on and and that can support um
0: disability
1: yeah. awareness and inclusion from a disability research perspective and a respectful perspective um
0: you feel like it's taught you a, a, a lot? I mean, one, one of the things that I love about getting to interview people like yourself is that every time I walk away from a conversation, I've learned something. And so it's I've, more therapy for me than it is for the audience, I think. But um, yeah, well, I, have you learned a lot from speaking to some of these amazing people?
1: Yeah, I get, I have gained a lot from speaking to amazing people. One of the things that I've learned is um, how to be a listener instead of having mm-hmm. an agenda.
0: Yeah, it's great.
1: You know, cuz you have you start out with all these I've got to be prepared and I've got to have all these questions. And so then you don't hear what the person said because you've got to get to your next question. Totally. And so I've learned more about flowing in conversation and actually being an active listener and that really takes the con- the conversations become so much more interesting.
0: Yeah. I love that. And one of, one of my favorites was um I'm just looking at it now. Uh uh, Lauren, Chirero, I think, and Katie uh-huh. Fatela, the Nora Project.
1: Yes, I think, yeah. I just, I
0: just loved it, and I love the idea that it. Um, uh, and I'm just reading the description here. It says the Nora Project is a program that works with schools to infuse disability studies and disability inclusion into school cultures. And it was just, yeah. it was just so refreshing. I remember being stuck in Sydney traffic, which is, it may I don't know what it's like over in the states, but Sydney traffic is terrible. And I remember being stuck in there, and uh, that came up um, in my feed on my uh, on, on my car dashboard, and, and I listened to it, and it was such a beautiful discussion. And I think the the authenticity, I think, with your podcast and the your sort of genuine um, commitment to learn something is really it's really lovely. And yeah, I, I think that the whole podcasting medium is a um, for me a really new process, but it's a way of getting these ideas into the minds of educators all around the world. I mean, it still blows yes. me in mind that we can have a relatively personal conversation from my living room to yours. Um And somebody driving to work in London can hear that. I think that's, yes. I still don't know how that works, but it's amazing.
1: I have the same thoughts. Every time I look at the data, I was like, yeah. wow, somebody can- in Germany
0: yeah, I know it's bizarre, and I know my, my wife and mum isn't aren't listening either. So I'm like, someone else has to. Who else? Who who else is listening? Um, but right. it, it's really it's really wonderful. And Diana, like I know it's probably hard to to choose a a favorite episode. Uh, parents don't have favorite children. Uh, but is there a, an episode or a couple of episodes that has, um, yeah, really had an impact on you?
1: I I don't have any hesitation in my response. I'll, I love them all. But my episode with Judy Human, yeah. Um, the mother of disability rights, that was a year coming because she, she had different, we had to had to cancel because of health issues on her part or her husband's part. And I, you know what? I let go and I said, Judy, it's okay. Whenever it works out for you is fine. Let's not worry about it. And then I wished her a happy birthday. I sent her a private message to wish her a happy birthday and she said, we never did your podcast episode. Did we? Wow. And I said, we didn't. She goes, do you have time tomorrow at 10 AM? So yes, And so, um, we, I just, it means so much because it's Judy human who I adore. I've, I've loved her for many years and, um, supported her work for many years. And she kind of, rem- she's in the same age bracket as my mom. And so she has this maternal vibe to her um and also a very chingona vibe are, are you do you know what that is that's a spanish word am i allowed to cuss
0: you you can do whatever you like okay
1: it so it means badass in spanish
0: oh that's and that's, so that's, she's, she's that's not a bad word that's fine okay, <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah. all right i just if kindergartner i'm a kindergarten teacher I so get it. um so so i just and then it wasn't just about the content, but she was so generous with her time. And then I got to ask her some fun questions. Like, you know, tell me about your mom and your dad and tell mm. like you do, you're very, you, you get into yeah. very personal, but in an authentic way and not an intrusive way at all. And I was able to talk with her about that. And we just laughed. We laughed oh, yeah. and I, it was such a special moment for me. And then she passed away a couple months later and, um, I'll well, always cherish that episode with her.
0: Wow, that's that's really beautiful, and 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 it's it's wonderful that that her work um, can live on. Um, it's yeah. wonderful. People like me who have never had the privilege of listening to her, or to be honest, I, I'm really familiar with her work. But we'll do a bit of a deep dive after this. But um, it's yeah. so wonderful that then I can listen to that interview, and she still have a huge. Um, have a huge impact on people's lives. Um, yeah. one of my um one of my favorite ones with that was actually with a colleague of yours, um Santos. She was um yes. she was wonderful. And um I'll uh Santos, if you're listening, um thank you for your time. Uh very she's very sassy, uh very yeah. funny, very cheeky, but just a really wonderful conversation about um uh, just about building like authentic. School communities, um, and also creating the right conditions, I think, for students to thrive. And it was a, it is, a, it was, yeah, a, a truly wonderful uh, conversation. And I believe that Santos actually introduced me to your work, so I'm, I'm very grateful to her. Um, to her.
1: I am too. Thank you, Santos.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I want to be respectful um, of your time, Diana. And I know we've only just scratched the surface of your amazing work. And at some point, I would love to do a. Around two, and do a bit more of a deep dive. But um, if I was a um, a brand new teacher, so I've just graduated from university, I'm bright eyed, I'm bushy tailed, I've got my thermos ready to go with my tea in it. Um, What advice, in regards to disability and inclusion, what advice would you give me um, in order to make uh, sorry, as a recent teaching graduate, about to step into the class for the first time?
1: One of the things that I learned from one of my professors and later my friend, Dr. Ann donnellan was always presume competence. If you have a student who is a multimodal communicator or is non-speaking, always presume competence. I love that. Because that's the least dangerous assumption. I love that. You can do less harm. By presuming competence than you can by presuming incompetence.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, I think we may have just found the title of our podcast uh, today, <laughs> which is wonderful. And if I was a um if I was a school leader and about to step into that or about to sit down in that leadership chair, um, and I wanted to create a culture um, that was more inclusive and more respectful of students with a range of disabilities, what advice would you give me? well could be the same great,
1: great that you yes definitely presume competence and one of the things that i one of the things that i created why i created um beyond awareness my book beyond awareness bringing disability into diversity work in K- k12 schools and communities plus the right. beyond disability awareness plus i have a digital course which i forgot to mention which yes, is called indeed. beyond Amer- beyond awareness um Is because people do disability awareness events and activities, but we've been doing them all wrong. And this is something I've discovered. And so if somebody wants to foster more inclusion, if they're going to do disability awareness, get in touch with me first. Get in touch with my resources first, because putting Vaseline on glasses or trying on a wheelchair for a couple minutes, that's not cutting it. That is that is perpetuating more of the same ableist mindset and we need to do things differently and so um i i like to empower people with the resources so that they don't live in regret later for having done it all wrong and causing more harm than good so yeah do disability awareness but do it right and and i have an episode on my podcast called disability awareness do it right too so they could start there and um I well, forget fantastic. which episode it is, but
0: that's okay. I, I will find that and put all that in the show notes. And, um, you mentioned reaching out and getting in contact with you. What's the best place, um, uh, to get in contact with you for our listeners.
1: So my website is Diana pastora P A S T O R A like pastor, but with an eight Diana pastora
0: Fantastic. And uh like I said, I'll put all of the links to our uh to your wonderful resources in the show notes. And Diana, I, I'm so grateful that you would uh take the time to speak with me um all the way across the world, um, for me this morning, for you this afternoon or this evening. Um and um your work is truly um inspiring. So thank you for what you're doing uh in this in this space. Um and um I'm so grateful as well um to Joaquin uh for his. Um, not only his resilience, but also the um, just the incredible individual uh, that he is. And so thank you for that. And please. Yeah. Thank Mm, you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: You're welcome. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day and I look forward to chatting with you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye.